So good to be back in Family Church this morning. Last week I was up in, uh, where was I last week? I was in Harrogate and then I was in Manchester last week. And uh, we just saw God move mightily. But like they say, there's no place like home. Our younger guys, some of our younger guys are going out to Ignition Group. How are you doing today? Everybody good? Everybody trusting God? Everyone encouraging their hearts in Him? It ain't over till it's over, and it ain't over yet. Amen. Listen, last week I had to, I got up to preach, and before I got up to preach, I was in the Ramp Church in Manchester. I had to apologize to the pastor about something he was totally unaware of. And uh, what had happened was, I'm a bit of an extravagant praiser. Anybody else? And there was a moment of worship that was incredible. So I decided to fling up my arms in worship just as his eight-year-old daughter was walking past me. Yeah, it happened. I'm, I'm confessing it. It really happened. I was there. I was caught up in worship. And Pastor Joe Reese's youngest daughter, Chloe, she decides at this moment, not knowing I'm lost in worship and I'm about to express my worship, to go and see her mummy. And so I'm there and I'm like, Jesus! Just as her little head walks past and I was like, oh no, I did the right thing. I said, are you all right, my love? Kissed her, prayed for her, just said, please, Jesus, don't let there be anything wrong. And uh, I just thought that was a brilliant way to introduce the message last week. I was watching the pastor try to deal with his soul. You did that to my daughter? And his spirit, well, I've got to forgive you. It was just an amazing moment. Listen, I want to encourage you today. A couple of weeks ago, we started a journey where we were talking about our relationship with God. I want to take some time this morning to carry on and open that up a little bit, if it's okay. And um, we spoke about having a relationship with God. We need to understand that there is an incredible difference between having a relationship with God and having a religion about God. Can someone say amen? A religion about God is heartless, it's factual, and it hasn't got a life of its own, you have to keep that plate spinning. Ah, oh, but a relationship with God, ah, oh, it's something that has a life of its own. And what we are today is we're a people who are celebrating that we have a relationship with God. We don't want a religion about God, amen? Too much religion in the world. But each of us here today, we want to know what it is to have an ever deepening relationship with God. Now think about that for a moment. A relationship with God. Oh, that's a very cheap, easy statement. But hold on. Pause. Sila. Stop. Think about it. The God and creator of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who flung stars into space, the one who speaks and things come out of nothing, wants a daily walk and relationship, not with the priest of the house, that's Old Testament, but with each and every one of us. Come on, let that sink in. That's a bit of a mic drop, isn't it? But I'm, I'm not talking about some God made of clay stuck in the corner of a church. I'm talking about creator God, father of all things, maker of heaven and earth, wants a relationship a daily relationship with us. Man, that's worth thinking about. 
Still got a reason. It's still coming back. It keeps creeping in, that song. It does. You watch this week, you're going to be going, that song, I can't get it out of my head. Now, it just gets better. Not only does the creator of the universe, the heavenly father, want a relationship with us, but like we said, he doesn't want a casual relationship. He wants a covenant relationship. Because there's all manner of relationships You can have relationships with somebody and go and watch a movie with them once a month. That's a relationship. You can have a dating relationship where you see someone on Wednesday night and on Fridays, but not when you don't want to. But then you have a covenant relationship where you are fully his and he is fully yours. You see, when God speaks to us and says, I want a relationship with you, my son died on a cross to restore a broken relationship between you and me. He wasn't talking about see you Sunday morning and Wednesday night if you can make it. What he was talking about is I want to be a part of your life. I want you to enjoy my life. I want to be fully yours and for you to be fully mine. And we were sharing on this how God reveals his desire and his intention for his relationship with us from creation through the Old Testament and even now into the New Testament or this new covenant agreement we have with God. Now think about it. Right the way through the Old Testament, we spoke about this two weeks ago, God continually makes this statement, but we haven't got it like we should. God continually says to the children of Israel, listen, here's my plan. I will be your God and you will be my people. I lose count at 28, the amount of times that God says to an unfaithful Israel, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. Now, we actually, if we go back to the beginning of time, Genesis, the beginning of all things, we see that God made man and woman in his image. Why did God make man and woman in his image? Because he wanted relationship with them, not slavery from them. Then we watch God in the Old Testament continually walking with an unfaithful bunch of people that looks like a big chunk of my Christianity, where he's faithful, but they're not. But he continually restores them and says, I still want to be your God. I still want you to be my people. And then he reveals to us that this covenant relationship, the most comparable thing we have to a covenant relationship, like we said, would be marriage. And God actually uses marriage to give us an example and a comparable to how he wants to walk with us. Now, let me just put this little bit in here because people can get upset of all manner of things. I upset people without even trying, right? When I look at what a marriage is, I'm looking at the ideal of marriage, yet I'm conscious that some people here today have been married, have not yet been married, or actually had a terrible marriage, all right? I'm not ignoring the facts of society and your life, But all of us have an ingrained ideal of what a perfect marriage is, right? Well, I don't agree. Well, you must because you wouldn't be able to say yours was bad if there wasn't an ideal of what was great. 
So we all have within us an understanding. So let's not gather around whether we're married, if we've been married, if we're not married yet. Let's gather around the ingrained ideal that God places in us of what a marriage by original design should look like. All right? Now, when we do that, we understand that God uses the language of marriage to communicate with us about our relationship with him. Remember, we read in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 32, he says to Israel, what's the problem here? I have been a faithful husband to you. God chooses to use a marriage scenario to reveal how he's feeling. He said, I've been a faithful husband to you. You guys are not being a faithful wife. He's speaking to a nation. Then also in the book of Hosea, and whenever I read the book of Hosea, two people I never want to be in the Bible. Everybody's got people they want to be, right? I want to be Peter. I want to be Paul. Two people I don't want to be, Hosea and Job. No thanks. No thanks. I don't want to experience, I don't need empathy. I don't want their experience, all right? Thank you, Hosea, for marrying a prostitute that was unfaithful so that you could reveal the faithfulness of a husband to his wife. Thank you. I'm learning my lessons from your journey. Job, love it how you hung on in there. Everything was restored. I'm learning from you. I don't want to play out those acts. Now, when we look at marriage in its ideal, original design, not man's version, we can actually discover how we are to function and think regarding a natural, healthy relationship with God when we consider what components would create a healthy relationship, even if it's in the bank of our ideals and not our experience, what key things are ingredients for a great marriage? All right, stop there. I've got many answers that you want to give. I've picked three. But what we're doing is we're looking at how these three things affect a man and a woman in earthly marriage and how God says, I want to have these three things right with you in our relationship of creator and created, father and son. So the three things I'm going to pick on, because there could be many, is self, somebody say self, wealth, somebody say wealth, and the third one doesn't rhyme at all, it's time. I was trying, I was thinking, Self, wealth, a bit of a self, wealth, self, wealth. No, it's self, wealth, and time. Because when you get married naturally, you may have experienced this. If you haven't, you will, you will get it wrong. You'll know, you'll know. Number one is self. These are relatable, relational expectations, all right? These are just three relational um, uh, relatable expectations. When somebody gets married, it puts a big demand upon the self. If you haven't experienced that, come and talk to Pastor Stu. <laughs> Sean, sorry, Sean now. Sorry, Stu, missed that one. Now, when there's a relationship between a man and a woman in marriage, it should, it should put a great demand on the self-life of each person. If it doesn't, there's something not quite right. Because when you are married, you enter a covenant relationship, not a casual relationship, where you were saying that your life is now fully theirs, 
And they're saying that their life is now fully yours. That's the original design of marriage, right? Now suddenly, when you're married, you wake up after the honeymoon and self is replaced with us. Be careful, husbands, what you agree with as we walk through this territory together right now. Even a nod could have consequences. (laughs) Self is sometimes brutally affected that it's no longer self, it's now us. And now there's a presence of more than one will. When you were single, you were self-made and often worshipped the one that made you. Think about it. But suddenly when you enter into a covenant relationship, it's no longer about self or I, it's now what do you want to do? What are you will to do? And that can have an interesting effect in the relationship, for the whole of a relationship actually, because marriage causes self in you or an element of self in you to die, right, or step aside. Come on, husband or wife, wife or husband, you know there's moments when your husband or wife has said, I want to do this. But actually inside, there's a scream that says, but I want to do this. Hey, it's our day off today. I want to go to Primark. I want to lay in bed and watch Netflix. But the success, that's not me. I'm using someone else as an example. That would never happen to me. Gracious, no. But what we find within marriage is it's no longer good for a person just to do what I want, what self wants. You have to realize that in many ways your self has died, two have become one, and now it's about what you want to do together. Not trying to give you a marriage counseling course, but that's fact. Now the Bible speaks that way in the book of Ephesians, so I'm going to reverse the order and speak to the men first. It says in verse 25 of Ephesians 5, again, God is using marriage as a picture of us and him. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Did anyone see it? Because of his love, he gives himself, the self-will, what I want, up for the other person. Can all the wives say amen? amen? All right, now let's talk about the ladies. Let's go back to verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Wives, it's no longer about yourself. It's about now submitting, don't you hate that word, yourself your self-life to your own husband. God forbid you do that to someone else's husband. (laughs) To your own husband. So what we learn is in a marriage covenant relationship, there's no place for extreme self. I'm not going to say there's no place for self because humanity is inherently selfish. And it's something that we constantly fight against. Can some husband or wife say amen? It's not... It's not done at the honeymoon, but it's something that we constantly have to say, there's no place in this relationship 
for previous expression of extreme self. Now I need to say, what do you want? How do you want to do this? What do you want me to do with this area of my life? That's what God wants from us. He's given himself fully to us. And now he says, it's not a bad thing because I gave everything to you to now expect you to not do some of the things you'd rather do, but do things that please me. Listen, when you do things to please your wife, life is Good. (laughs) Lots of good advice being given out here. Now we understand that this is what it says in Galatians 2 verse 20, one of my favorite verses. Listen to what it says in verse 20. I self have been crucified with Christ. I'm now married to Christ and self no longer lives, but now Christ now lives in me. Another marriage analogy, Jesus compares himself to the groom and his church to the bride. When we understand that we're married to God, not visiting him on Sundays, suddenly we realize that now we need to be able to push self to the side, I want, me want, I always get what I want. We push that to the side to begin to say, God, what do you want for my life? God, what do you want me to do in this situation? Hey, God, what what do you want me to change in our relationship? What happens is a covenant relationship suddenly brings two people walking together when a single relationship only had one. Everybody with me? All right, that's self. So when we get married to God, we move from self to serve. Do you like that? From self to serve. If a husband continues to live in extreme self and not serve his wife, the marriage relationship will be affected. Maybe not short term, but I promise you long term. And because she's not saying anything when you do what you do, doesn't mean she's not going to get you. Oh, she'll get you. And you sowed for it. So why don't we wise up and say, hey, this is another example. Now, this could be male, female, female to male, husband to wife, wife to husband. But we say, no, okay, it's no longer about me and my former single life. What can I do to help you? What can I do to serve you? And if you think marriage puts a demand on the self of who you are, wait till the kiddies start coming. Then there's nothing left for you. But actually, you've gained more than you could ever have on your own. It's all perspective. We've got to be willing with God to say, it doesn't matter if I want to. It's no longer I who live. But now it's Christ who lives in me. All right, time's going. Let's move on to the next one. Wealth or money. When we're married, we move from mine to ours. Now, none of us have a problem with God sharing his stuff with us at all. You never have seminars on how to get over God giving you everything that belongs to him so you can freely enjoy it. Never. Never done a seminar on that. 
Now we have to have seminars on how to share your stuff with God like you should if you're married to him. We could call that tithing. We could call that sowing or reaping. Why do we need to teach on the aspect of us allowing him full access over what we own when we never talk about him giving his stuff to us? Now, when a person's married, generally they move from this is mine, this is mine, to this is ours. Now, I know there's people that get married and they keep separate accounts. I want to be honest, I don't get you. I, don't, I just want to be honest, I don't get that. Because to me, the only model I've known is when two people become one, and that includes the finances. Listen, let me put it this way. God don't want no prenup. God don't want no prenuptial agreement with the one he's given himself fully to. Now, don't get me wrong. If you do separate money, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying I don't get that. Because my experience, when me and Gina got married... We said, what we haven't got is yours. And she said, what I haven't got is yours. And we brought what we didn't have together in one pool of we haven't got it. Because <laughs> we were living by faith. We were missionaries. We were just going to spend our whole life serving God wherever he sent us. But to me, I've seen it time and time again. The norm seems to be what's his is now hers and what's hers is now his. And this isn't the old days anymore. Sometimes what, her, what is hers is more than what's his. Now, if we bring that into relationship with God, God doesn't want you to have your finances and him have his. Now, don't get bent out of shape with me if that's how you do marriage and finance. I'm just saying, all right? Just saying. But when we come into God, God doesn't want to do that with you. You may want to do that with your earthly partner, but God don't want to play that game. He gives you all of who he is, all of what he has, an abundance of what he is, and he expects access to what's yours. But what does that look like sometimes? We stand in church saying, gimme, gimme, I'm married to you, Jesus. Then all of a sudden, during the week, Jesus says, I want you to give 20 quid to that person, and you're like covering your pin code from him. My money? You want to touch my money? Well, let me help you with that. Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 says, you are kidding yourself because it's God who gives you strength or ability to create wealth. So let's just get this right from the beginning. You ain't got nothing God didn't give you or give you the ability, the brain power, the muscle to achieve. You would have nothing without him. And now God just wants you to honour him with what he's giving you the potential to create. Like I said, I've spoken to people and they're like, well, I'm self-made. Again, the problem is you're worshipping your maker. But if you move from that to God, you don't just have my heart. We sung that this morning. You also got my wallet. That would be a brilliant verse on that song, wouldn't it? If you want my wallet, you got it, you got it. That would work. If you want my wallet... You got it, you got it. No, fewer people would sing and many would have theological issue. But your heart's cheap. God wants all of you, including all of what you have. Now, here's the crazy thing. We think he's taking from us. We don't realize he's blessing what we've got. 
Now, until, until you stop looking at things you're losing and start seeing what you're gaining, you'll never give correctly. Because when we say, God, all of what I am and what I have, my finances that you gave me the strength and the ability to earn, I give them to you to do what you want to do. Remember when we read in Deuteronomy, it says, and he gives you the ability to earn wealth. Why? So that you can establish his kingdom and covenant on the earth. There's a reason God blesses you. And when you make establishing his kingdom on the earth, your agenda, he'll bless you more. But what we've got to understand is it's not about the 10%, if we use tithing as an analogy, that we bring to him. It's about that moment he says, thank you. And he puts his good hand of blessing on that 10%, but also on the 90% we didn't give him. Because when you honor him with the first part, he brings his blessing upon the remaining part. So God's not after your want money because he's broke, all right? Listen, the streets of gold are paved with gold. The streets of heaven are paved with gold. Gold isn't a commodity. Heaven doesn't run on gold or Bitcoin. It runs on the Father provides everything that's needed. When we allow God to be a part of our finances, our wealth, then suddenly he brings his blessing and abundance on ours. Now, it's amazing. Again, think of a marriage where one person had a lot of money in the marriage and the other person didn't have much at all. And the one that didn't have much of all, it could be husband or wife these days, comes and says, listen, I need some of your money to um, buy more housekeeping. Housekeeping? You've got to find your own money for that. You're not having my money for that whether it's the husband or the wife that's doing the cooking, then you are eating chips this week. Your experience of life will be measured to the generosity that you have towards this relationship. Now, we wouldn't do that in marriage. We have to manage struggles sometimes, but we do it together. Me and Gina, we've had times when there's been enough. We manage that together. And because of what we do in ministry, there's been times when we haven't had enough. In fact, we didn't have enough. In fact, we needed a miracle. But we did that together. We walked through those seasons together. God wants you to bring your heart into this relationship, but also your resource. He won't leave you wanting. You'll be glad that you did it. All right, let's bring this in. Doesn't it go beautifully quiet when you talk about tithing? Have you noticed about that? God loves you. God's for you. Hey, how about his grace? Praise him. How about his mercy? Praise him. Tithing. Pin drop. Maybe that's the moment or the muscle that God is trying to massage to bring you the freedom that you've been asking for. Anyway, moving on because it hasn't got any louder. The final one is similar to self, but it's time and life. Now, we understand 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20 says to us that you were bought with a price. Listen, your life is not your own. Okay, let's break life down. Time is not just your own. You who saved, give me a wave. 
You were bought by God with a price. Your life is not your own. Husband and wife down the front of the altar, richer and poorer, I do. Sickness in health, I do. What they're basically doing is saying, my life and my time are no longer my own, but they're to be shared with you as you share yours with me. Isn't it beautiful that God gives us this incredible um, relationship called marriage to teach us what he expects or what he wants from us? So our lives are not our own. They've been bought with a price. Now, we need to understand that our time now, because we're no longer single in the aspect of our salvation, we now belong to him and he belongs to us. We don't have the time uh, rulership of a single person anymore, but actually, not just church leaders, every follower of Jesus needs to say, you've got my heart, you've got my wallet, and you've got my time. Again, in a natural marriage, there's often moments where one wants to do something with their time, and the other part in the relationship wants to do something completely different with the time. I have been guilty of sitting on the couch watching TV when Gina suggested I use that time to decorate. I just want to be transparent and open with you. Just broke the table as well. There's power. There's a... Now, if I sit on the couch and go, you know, God forbid this would get me killed, but I'm just using this woman. If you're newly married, never. 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 Even though Genesis said, never. Never. If I said, well, I'd rather use my time watching James Martin cook on Saturday morning than use my time to do what you want me to do and decorate, later on, she may not use her time to do things that benefit us. Taking care of the sixth child. There's so much that each person in a relationship does that they don't want to do because they're in relationship now with someone else. That's how God is with us. God wants to be able to step into your world and say, I need you to serve what I love, which is my church. Let me put that another way. I need you to give some of your time to help what I'm doing on the earth through my church. Now, this is a whole message in itself. Beautiful, that is. Beautiful. Beautiful. You know when in the Old Testament it says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And how easy it is, right, for us to go, I belong to Jesus and I want to serve the Lord. Who here honestly says, I want to serve the Lord? What can you actually do for him? Worship isn't service, it's expression. Now here's the bit I think we all miss sometimes. Now some of you are not going to like this. 
the way that we serve the Lord is serving each other. Otherwise, it's very nebulous. I want to serve God. I want to spend my life serving God. How are you going to do that? Because he needs nothing. He's enthroned in all glory. Your worship is an expression and not an obligation. The way that we serve God is we say, I'm going to give my time, which is now our time, to taking care of what you love. Your will and purposes for what's happening on the earth and your people. Do you know that the way that you serve God is you serve the person sitting next to you? Now, I know that's not dramatic, no massive finger of God writing on the wall, good on you. But the way that we serve God is our food bank. The way that we serve God is our setup team. The way that we serve God is giving time on a Sunday to serve for children instead of being in here. Oh, well, I didn't think it looked like that. It does. Jesus laid aside his majesty, came to earth as a servant king to redeem those who were lost. The way that we serve, can we just get this in our hearts? If you want to serve God, that's incredible. But the way that we serve God is we purpose to serve each other. So let me just finish with this thought. God doesn't want visiting rights with you. He wants a relationship with you. God doesn't want to hang out on Sundays and Wednesdays. But he wants sharing of life with you. Isn't that incredible? Let me end where I began. The the God and creator of heaven and earth wants to walk in shared life with me? Absolutely. He hasn't got the issues we do. He says, all of my love is yours. He says, all of my self is yours. I gave all of me for all of you. All of my wealth is yours. All of my time is yours. Anyone noticed he's always there when you need him? All he expects is what we would expect if we were in something called a healthy relationship or marriage where we come to him and we say, all of myself is yours. It's no longer me, it's we. Lord, my finances that you blessed me to be able to have, they're yours too. God, my time, it's yours. I want to be found serving you by serving people. And then we suddenly wake up one day and we realize, I'm going to end with this, We're in fellowship with God. Wow. We're not going to church on Sunday. We're in fellowship with God. What does fellowship mean? For sharing of life. Now to us, when we say fellowship, it means 20 minutes, cup of coffee, after the service, then we get on with our life. But the actual meaning of fellowship 
is the sharing of life with each other. I don't know what more I could share that would be of greater encouragement than this. God loves you and he wants to do shared life with you. He's done everything he needs to do. How will we respond? Can I pray for you this morning as we close? If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never got married, you've never said, God, I want a relationship with you, not a religious experience with you. But I want to start today a relationship with you that looks like a marriage, that functions like a perfect marriage should function. I want you to be my God and I want to be your people. Just mind every eye is closed. We're given a moment at the end of our services. We give an opportunity for people to respond. You don't have to. You can do it next week. You can do it when you're at home. But we always love to provide this moment. But if you know you're not in relationship with God, if you know that you need to start a relationship with God, if you want to give your life to Jesus today, if you want to become a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're ready to do that today, I'm going to pray in a moment. But before I do, I want to check if I'm praying for anyone specific. Just my every eye is closed. If that's you today, if that's you today, when I count to three, would you give me a wave if I'm praying for you? You've not known God or you're coming back to God today. No guilt, no shame, just people getting real with God. If that's you, just give me, just my every eye's closed, a big wave. That's awesome. There's two ladies there giving me a wave. Pop that hand back up again. For, oh, that's awesome. I know you've got a baby in hand. Lady here. There were nine the other week. That was awesome, wasn't it, hey? Is there a third person and you say, I need to start a relationship with God? I'm not going to drag it out. Is there a third person today? You say, me too, Andy. Father, I pray today that for these two ladies, you've seen the cry of their heart. You've seen the hand go up where they say, we need you. Jesus, thank you that right now you save them you make them whole and you fill them with your Holy Spirit. From the top of their heads to the soles of their feet, let a new day begin. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give these ladies a round of applause. That's brave. That's brave. So church, this week, let's just walk in relationship with God, hey? Let's involve him in everything. Include him in everything. Let me put it this way. Let's treat him like he's in the room. God bless you. See you next week.